You're listening to a Fat Cat Media podcast. This is The Road Less Travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. The Road Less Travelled. G'day everyone, welcome to this week's edition of The Road Less Travelled, an Australian podcast which documents and captures the Australian spirit of travel, discovery and adventure, where each week you can join myself, Nikki Shea, where together we'll experience adventures from all around Australia, with glimpses into a world that has long faded into history. There'll be the people, the places and the ways of life. And as always, there's a story involved as each week we're out caravanning, four-wheel driving, fishing, camping, gold detecting, cooking and exploring places, history and visiting destinations nations all rolled into each episode if you've got something that we should feature review discover or explore please drop us a line you can do that by visiting our website which is fatcatmedia.com.au dropping me an email which is fatcat at iinet.net.au sms or phone 0427528467 and follow us of course on instagram and facebook and on youtube as well just simply search for the road less traveled podcast with me nikki shea welcome along to this week edition of the podcast. So this week on the show we are travelling back into Western Australia and in particular the, I guess we could call it the Golden Triangle of Western Australia on the, we'll call it on the western tip of the Golden Triangle, the Southern Cross in WA. It's 371 k's east of the capital of Perth on the Great Eastern Highway and was founded by gold prospectors in 1888, gazetted a town in 1890. It is the major town and administrative centre of the Shire of Yilgarn and the Southern Cross Town is one of many towns that run along the Goldfields Water Supply Scheme pipeline from Mundaring to Kalgoorlie, engineered by C.Y. O'Connor. And as a consequence, it is an important location on the Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail. Now, a succession of gold rushes in the Yilgarn region near Southern Cross in 1887. There was Cool Guardian in 1892 and at Kalgoorlie rather in 1893, which caused an absolute population explosion in what is barren and dry desert centre of Western Australia. It is named after the Southern Cross constellation and the town's streets are all named after constellations and stars as well. And the surrounding area now produces wheat and other cereal crops. And the town, as I said, it was named after the famous Australian or the Southern Hemisphere constellation, the Southern Cross, was named after the stars that guided the early prospectors to their gold find. It is surrounded by some of the largest farms in the state of WA and stands at the western gateway to the world's largest and healthiest temperate woodland, which is the Great Western Woodlands. And make sure, if you are out this way, to make a, a detour and a stop to admire some of the best spring wildflower shows on earth, and you can immerse yourself in colourful gold rush history, which is what we're doing today. A convenient halfway house on the Great Eastern Highway and the Golden Pipeline Heritage Trail that runs between Kalgoorlie and Perth. Southern Cross is about a four and a half hour, four hour drive east of Perth and two and a half hours, three hours drive west of Kalgoorlie. As I said, it sits in the centre of the Yilgarn Shire, Yilgarn meaning white stone or quartz in the local Indigenous language. Southern Cross too is also home, well it was at one point home and it is still home to uh, one of the largest motocross events on the calendar and at one stage it was the richest motocross event in Australia at the King of the Cross motocross event there. The area is spectacularly beautiful in spring with wildflowers carpeting the surrounding outback plains and the Great Western Woodland, which is a 160,000 square kilometre temperate woodland that has great significance in the world's ecology on a par with Africa's Serengeti and South America's Amazon. So there you can take a scenic woodland drive, pick from the locals' favourite picnic spots at 
picnic spots, which is at Belladee Rock, Frog, Frog Rock, Carolee Dam or Hunt Soak. We can head up to the Wimmera Hill lookout for a panoramic view of the town and surrounding farmland, salt lakes and gold mines there. Gold, that's what we're here for. It was discovered in Southern Cross in 1888 by Tom Risley and Mick Toomey, marking the start of the Eastern Goldfields Gold Rush. Now, the first permanent courthouse in the Eastern Goldfields and Western Australia's first registry was built here in 1892, which now houses the Yilgarn History Museum's impressive collection of relics and artefacts, including a working model of a gold battery, a camel wagon and local burial register and domestic memorabilia as well. You can stay a while to soak up more of its rich heritage with a night or two at the town's country pubs, originally built in 1892, and there are more rooms and self-contained options available at the local motel as well as a caravan park there too at Southern Cross. Now before going prospecting anywhere in Australia in particular this week we're talking of course of Southern Cross in WA. For prospecting and fosking information make sure that you head to the Government of West Australia's Department of Mines, Industry Regulation and Safety website. And of course there is a significant difference between prospecting and fosking in Western Australia. The terms prospecting and fosking are used to interchangeably use rather when searching for minerals. However the term fosking has a specific definition definition rather in the Mining Act of 1978. Fossicking refers to the collection of mineral samples or specimens other than gold or diamonds for the purpose of mineral collection and other hobby interests. The term prospecting includes the search for all minerals including the use of metal detectors. Both prospecting and fossicking in WA requires a miner's right and you can um, purchase one of those and then you can prospect on crown land which includes pastoral leases. However when fossicking on crown land or conservation land holders need prior written consent from the land occupiers and prospecting or fossicking on mining tenements can only be carried out with the consent from mining tenement holders and cannot be carried out on reserved land except where the purpose is a common mining or public utility so make sure you jump online and that website is dmp.wa.gov.au and you can purchase a miners right from that particular website too and just a, a, a something to I guess have in the back of your mind that obtaining a miners right is is individual to each state and territory of Australia. So if you do purchase one in Victoria, it doesn't give you the automatic right to go fossicking in South Australia or WA or New South Wales or Tasmania. So each state and territory has their own legislation. So make sure that you do your due course of uh, research and find out accordingly where to obtain yours. But this week, of course, we're speaking of Western Australia and you can obtain a uh, miner's right. And if you don't, there's a penalty of about uh, 150 grand plus 15 grand per day if the offence is a continuing one. And um, you will get into lots of strife and you will be extremely poor for uh, not taking out a miner's right. They're about 25 to 30 bucks. And as I mentioned, you can jump onto the uh, dmp.wa.gov au website to find out more for Western Australia and miners' rights. So if you've never been into the goldfields of WA or if you've never sort of seen the dirt in WA, in this particular area it is extremely red, um, sandy and also um, quite a conglomerate mixture as well. So if you've watched Australian Aussie gold hunters you would see the red outback, that's exactly what it's like. So uh, it's a mixture of sand, rockers um, and a lot of sort of scrubby undergrowth and that is no exception here at Southern Cross. So we pitched tent 
and Pitch Caravan at the Caravan Park. Southern Cross likes to see itself as having, I guess, a bit of a double identity. It's the last town on the eastern edge of the Wheat Belt and the first town on the eastern goldfields. Its historic importance lies in the fact that in 1887 it became the first major gold discovery on the eastern goldfields and therefore for a time it was seen as the mother town of Coolgardie and the grandmother of Kalgoorlie. That status continued when, albeit briefly, it became the end of the railway line until it pushed on to Coolgardie. Today, though, it's a quiet town, notable more for its wide streets, its large pubs on the Great Eastern Highway and its interesting museum. One of the charms of the town is that the stellar Southern Cross associations have led to other star-inspired streets, including Sirius Street, Altair Street, Centaur Street, Orion Street, Torres Street, etc., etc., it's located 369 kilometres east of Perth on the Great Eastern Highway and it's 357 metres above sea level. It's hard to imagine more of a romantic name. Southern Cross was reputedly named after, of course, the famous constellation which Thomas Risley and Mick Toomey, who discovered the gold which led to the settlement of the area, claimed it had been led to their discovery. They therefore named the goldfield Southern Cross and the name of the town followed. In his writings, Thomas Risley recorded, Myself, Toomey and Charlie Crosland started out from our camp at Berry Coyton. After prospecting the belt for some days, our water gave out. Our black boy, whom I called Wheelbarrow, said he knew of plenty of Gabby, known as water, at Cookerine, and when we got to Cookerine, we found that one of Hunt's dries wells, as dry as we were, so we decided to start back through the night and return to our camp, the distance of about 40 miles, and we travelled by the Southern Cross, taken to the stars to the north, thanks to Charlie Crosland's knowledge of the stars. Or our bones would have been bleaching in the scrub now, as we were now two days without water at this time. We had to remain at our camp until the rains came. Them, myself and Mick Toomey set out again. We discovered gold four miles from Cookadine and I named the place Southern Cross. So some of the things that you can do if you're not into gold prospecting or fossicking is the Yilgarn History Museum. It's located in the Registrar's Office and Courthouse, both built in 1891 in Antares Street. The Yilgarn History Museum is a typical rural museum with a bewildering display of memorabilia. It has a total of five galleries inside, one outside and the Blith Pavilion. The displays include such unusual items as Western Australian timbers, Yilgarn minerals, cemetery registers, historic prospecting gear and laundry implements, a camel wagon and an old telephone exchange. Of particular interest, or at least to me, were a personal spittoon and a permit to employ an Aborigine, dated from 1943 and costing five shillings. The museum is run by the Southern Cross and Yilgarn History Society. It's open from 9am to 12 noon and 1.30pm to 4pm, Monday to Saturday and on Sundays as well. Now there's also the Registrar's Office and Courthouse and although they are modest buildings at the end of the town's main street, the Registrar's Office and Courthouse continued to operate until 1976 and they were the site of many famous events in the history of the Eastern Goldfields. It was in this building that Paddy Hannon, who is the man responsible for finding the Golden Mile upon which Kalgoorlie's fortune is based, he took out his miner's right and it was in this same building that Arthur Bailey came to register the claim which subsequently became the rich goldfields at Coolgate. This was also the location of the first claim on the Lake Dundas or the Norseman Goldfields too. For a number of years, the Southern Cross Courthouse and the Register Office were the heart of the Eastern Goldfields. Here too, 
is part of the, um, what, what do we say, the Golden Pipeline his, uh, Heritage Trail. It's the number six pump station. You'll have to go back to episode 17 of series two where we discovered and had a chat with um, regarding C.Y. O'Connor and his contribution to Fremantle and, of course, the Golden Pipeline uh, from Mundaring out to Coolgardie. The number six pump station is characterised by a massive tall steel chimney and it's located at Gooley, which is 11 kilometres east of Southern Cross Fire, of course, the Great Eastern Highway. If you look carefully, it is possible to see the remnants of the buildings occupied by the small community who operated the pump station after it was installed. There's also evidence of a tennis court and a children's playground. It too is one of a series of the eight pump stations used to carry water from Mundaringwe to Kalgoorlie on the Seaway O'Connor pipeline. Listed by the National Estate, the number six pump station was originally fueled by coal, but this was replaced by wood and in 1969 by electricity. The advent of electricity meant that it was capable of punting pumping 120 million litres per day. The Old Pioneer Cemetery is located off the Great Eastern Highway at the eastern end of Southern Cross. That's been redeveloped by the Southern Cross Historical Society as a Pioneer Memorial. It was used briefly from 1891 to 1898 and only 256 people are buried in the cemetery. A staggering 94 were buried in 1895. The high incidence of typhoid is recalled on the headstones of many of the miners of that particular year. And of course you can't go to the goldfields area of Southern Cross without tripping over a gold mine. Fraser's Mine, upon which the town of Southern Cross was created, is located over the hill behind the Palace Hotel. Hugh Fraser was an experienced prospector. He pegged out the most important gold load near the town and it was Fraser's Mine which drove the town's prosperity. The old head frames are still on the site and nearby a modern open cut mine is still exploiting the quartz and greenstone fault which Fraser himself identified as being rich in gold. He unfortunately died penniless and the town mayor paid £20 to have him buried as a citizen rather than a pauper. Today there's a monument that you'll find on Wimmera Hill and the view across the open cut mine from the Marvel Lock Road is a reminder that there's still plenty of payable gold in the district. Other attractions in the area, you can see the wildflowers in spring. The Granite Discovery, um, there's a detailed brochure at the museum which uh, finds tours around the countryside south of Southern Cross visiting and exploring some of the oldest rock formations in the world including Strawberry Rocks, Frog Rock, uh, Maureen Rock, Mount Hampton Rock, etc, etc. And of course, Southern Cays north of Southern Cross is Hunt's Soak. It's one of the daisy chains of wells and soaks which provided reliable water for a route across Western Australia until Seaway O'Connor's pipeline was completed. Now many will ask is there still gold in the goldfields of Western Australia? There is, of course. There is massive amounts of gold exploration going on and there is huge amounts of gold prospecting going on through the major mining companies around Marvelock, around Southern Cross as well and other areas in sort of that eastern part of the goldfields of Western Australia. So there is plenty of mine activity around. For us, we were looking to strike it rich, prospecting for gold, or if you, like us, are interested in learning the history of one of the eastern goldfields' first mining leases we headed out to Golden Valley, which is half an hour's drive north of Southern Cross. It's formerly known as the settlement of Nutsford. It's well worth the journey to see the old mine shafts, a stone cottage and a park to commemorate Western Australia's early pioneers. As always, if you are exploring out in the goldfields, be aware because gold, gold shafts, mine shafts are absolutely everywhere and I would recommend strongly if you do have pets, uh, pets with you, put them and maintain them on a lead because many dogs, cats, whatever, 
ever have gone missing town mine shafts and uh, they sometimes can just be an opening in the ground you just certainly don't see them so make sure you keep an eye out golden valley was the first official center of the shire of yorgan interesting as it was named after the golden scrub wattle which covers the slopes of the valley not the early finds of gold dating back to 1887 Try your hand at prospecting or just take in the outback scenery and gain a greater appreciation of Western Australia's gold rust heritage. We spent ages out there and, um, well, we picked up some great little finds. You can take the Bitumen Road to Bullfinch, uh, 36 k's. You turn right at a T-junction of the Bullfinch, Muckenboard and Mount Jackson roads. You pass Radio Mine on the left, then 12 k's to Golden Valley. It's all signposted. You continue to Windmills, uh, which is 15 k's on the right, and then 1 k to a uh, the park that I mentioned. The road direct heads at Windmills to an old stone house, the Battery and Machinery. It is not an all-weather road, so make sure if you're going and when it's raining be aware that the roads out there can be absolutely treacherous and uh, make sure that again that you uh, have your miners right with you do you uh, do some prospecting we did plenty of detecting came over some great little finds as well um, not all gold but some um, bits of memorabilia a couple of pennies and some other coins as well we'll take a break here on the road less travel podcast when we come back we'll talk more about southern cross in western australia <laughs> The Roadless Travelled Podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast, hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Roadless Travelled Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the Road Less Travel Podcast. You're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio. My name is Nikki Shea. Welcome back to this week's edition where we're talking about Southern Cross in Western Australia. And it's a long way from towns and at best done in the cooler months, driving safely on gravel roads and be prepared for remote areas, taking water and mention where you are going in this particular area. On Sunday the 27th of August 1944, one of the most dramatic events to involve members of the 15th Battalion took place in the far eastern part of the unit's area. An RAAF Volte Vengeance dive bomber went missing on a training flight from Pierce, north of Perth. The plane had apparently become lost and run out of fuel. The RAAF started searching between New Norcia and then Mora without luck. After a few days later, a chance conversation between a commercial pilot and squadron leader Hayward, who was the commanding officer of Number 7 Communications Unit at Pierce, revealed that the former had sighted what he thought was a tent in the bush east of Narrambeen. Next morning, a Beaufort bomber identified a parachute but no sign of life and a large number of soldiers from Northam were sent for a ground search. The pilot, Warrant Officer Jay Ingram, was located at a remote farmhouse some four days after the crash and told his story. On realising that he was nearly out of fuel, he had warned the navigator, Flight Sergeant C.L. King, to bail out and went through the necessary role to allow him to do so. He then climbed for height and bailed out himself. There being no sign of Flight Sergeant King, he headed west and found the farmhouse after four days, during which he had only a goanna to eat. 
A huge effort was mounted to try and locate Flight Sergeant King and the aircraft. The wreckage was finally found by a tiger moth on the 2nd of September in extremely thick and inhospitable scrub. However, this did not deter a search party which included 15th Battalion men Corporal M. Hotfrighter and Private D. Wilkins from setting out to find it. They drove a truck as far as possible then continued on foot. After they reached a spot five miles beyond the truck, it was arranged that a plane would fly over and drop a smoke bomb on the crash site, therefore to mark it. Corporal Holtfrieter fired his rifle into a tree well ahead in line with the smoke, then went forward and marked it so that one of the others could take a compass bearing. A further 13 miles into the scrub, they found the crash site. A large area had been burnt and the plane's engine was buried 10 feet in the earth and the wreckage strewn over 10 acres. There was no trace of Flight Sergeant King or his parachute. It was believed that he had been hit by by the large tailplane of the Vengeance as he bailed out. After the war, his father travelled from the eastern states and enlisted the help of Hot Frieda to make another search for his lost son, but to no avail. Now, if you want further information, it is available to read at the Southern Cross Historical Museum in Southern Cross. Here, you will actually find the relics of the plane crash. There's a plaque in respect to pilot and navigator. And there's also directions from Southern Cross where you pass the Palace Hotel on the Marvel Lock Road. At 11.5 k's on the left is the remains of a concrete well and the camel paddocks used by the early camel teamsters during the early days. There's a large salmon gum tree which marks the spot of the bottom of the crest and on both sides of the road at the top of the crest are good shows of wildflowers during the season. Three kilometres further along is the Gathera School site dated 1929 and 1944. You then continue on for 5.8 k's to the junction of Bitumen and Gravel Road which is Cockatoo Road. You take the Gravel Road and continue for another 14 k's. The road junction is signposted to the Hyden Maureen Rock and directly alongside the signpost on the right is the track into Cockatoo Tank. There's a slight detour but certainly a very nice picnic area and waterhole there too. Back on the road, you take the road to Hyden for 3.4 k's to crossroads marked at Parker Range Road and turn right on the Emu Fence Road, Hyden. It's a further 53 kilometres along to a signpost which marks the crash site at 5 kilometres. Now, the Volte Vengeance was a single-engine light attack bomber who was developed as a private venture and was sold in the middle and the late 1930s in what was then considered large numbers to countries such as Brazil, China, Turkey and Russia. The plane was a fairly large mid-wing monoplane of all-metal construction. It had hydraulically operated air brakes on the wings for control in the dive and hydraulically retracted tail wheel type landing gear. The power plant comprised of a uh, 1700 horsepower Wright GR2600A5 Cyclone 14 twin row radial engine. The plane was operated with great success in Burma during World War II. In England it was feared that it would be an easy target for high-performance enemy fighters. Australia, though, purchased a number of these planes for use with the RAAF, and there are only two surviving Volte Vengeance worldwide, and both of those are in Australia. Now, it was a Type uh, two-seater dive bomber, and uh, the maximum speed was 279 miles per hour at 13,000 feet. Cruising speed was about uh, 230 miles per hour, and uh, she was quite a big plane, 48 
uh, feet in dimension. The length was 39 feet in length, height was 15 feet, and the wing area was uh, 332 square feet. It had six 12.7 millimeter or 50 inch caliber machine guns plus up to 2,000 pound or 907 kilo of bombs and operated in Brazil, the RAAF, the RAF and the United States Air Force too. If you want some more um, some uh, some more information, there's a book which is called Vengeance of the Outback, a wartime air mystery of Western Australia by Charles Page. You can find that and that's a, a great reference in particular to this this story, 57 miles east of Narrabeen, 55 miles south of Southern Cross in Western Australia, happened on the 27th of August 1944. There were many theories surrounding the disappearance of Warrant Officer King, although one of the most believed is that on bailing out, he hit, as I mentioned earlier, the tail of the aircraft and was either killed or rendered unconscious and therefore unable to open his parachute. The Court of Inquiry assumed that Warrant Officer King's parachute had not opened and he still remains the only member of 25th, 25 Squadron listed as missing in action. The aircraft was located at 32 degrees 00 south and 119 degrees 21 east. On the 27th of August 1988, the Shire of Yilgown erected a memorial can at the site of the crash and in 2008 on the 70th anniversary of number 25 City of Perth Squadron's arrival in Western Australia, they decided that this would be an appropriate time to rededicate the crash memorial and this rededication took place at the crash site at 1100 hours on the 16th of August 2008. Relatives of both airmen attended the ceremony. And you can uh, explore the site. There's plenty of debris and, and wreckage still located all around that particular area and as I said in the description of finding the wreckage in in 1944 it was scattered over 10 acres of area and uh, that engine was buried in uh, 10 10 feet of of earth and there's still as I mentioned plenty of debris that can be found you can wander all around the site and take a moment to to have a collect your thoughts and uh, remember the men who, uh, who went through some pretty sad times in 1944. And that just about wraps up what uh, our tour of Southern Cross was all about. In particular, it was a, a good time for us to uh, do some R&R and some prospecting, and that's uh, what we did. If you haven't been in that particular area, if we've just driven straight through Southern Cross, there's some other places that you may choose to visit as well. And as I mentioned, when you went down to, if you do follow the track down to the Vaulty Vengeance Plain site, you can continue on down to Hyden and down to Hyden is Wave Rock as well. And another good trip that you can do is starting at Broomhill and that will take you all the way up to Coolgardie and to Norseman. And that is one trip that I really would like to uh, to to uh, to do in the not too distant future and that is the Holland Track. It's the largest cart road ever made in one stretch in Western Australia and it is a unique route that was created by pioneers in 1893 and that was done to enable prospectors arriving at the port of Albany to shorten their trip to the goldfields by more than a fortnight but the route was soon forgotten as prospectors used the newly built railway line to travel to the Coolgardie goldfields and John Holland was never given any recognition or recompense for services rendered to his country after his efforts. The North East portion was slowly reclaimed by the bush while the southwestern section was overtaken by pastoralists and their farmlands for nearly a hundred years. Then in 1992 a small group of enthusiasts understood the importance of the Holland track and planned to recut the track so that it wasn't forgotten forever and in doing so they have given us now the chance to retrace the footsteps of the important pioneer John Holland and co and to marvel at his incredible feat. In the opening of the route they have now 
a unique four-wheel drive track that allows us, you and me, to experience the beauty of isolated camping in this long-forgotten area that still contains wonderful relics of pioneering days. The Holland Track begins in the heart of the southern Wheat Belt region of WA and heads in a general sort of north-easterly direction into remote bushland and eventually meets the Great Eastern Highway at Coolgardie in the goldfields. Although much of the southern half is now incorporated into the present road system around pastoral lands, you can still find many points of interest pertaining to Holland and his party with numerous commemorative plaques to see, there's heritage trails and signs to follow and many nice little campsites to enjoy. So on the 14th of April 1893, John Holland, Rudolf Cracker, David Cracker and John Carmody left Broomhill with five ponies, a light dray, a 100 gallon or 450 litres of water tank and provisions for five to six months. Their mission was to cut a track through virgin bushland from Broomhill to Coolgardie, providing a shortcut to the goldfields from the port of Albany. Using a small compass, they aimed for Narbine Rock, the goldfield's main water supply. Holland would go ahead each day and scout for water and horse feed while the others cut the track. They arrived at King Rock, which is now known as Emu Rock, on the 15th of May and Mount Holland around the May, around May 20th. Sandalwood Rocks on May 27th, Victoria Rock on June 14th and arrived at Narbine Rock on June the 16th. They reached Bailey's Find at Fly, Fat, Fly Flat, be careful you say that, now Coolgardie on June 18th, having covered nearly 330 miles or 538 kilometres in two months and four days, cutting the longest cart road ever made in one stretch in Western Australian history. Prospectors could now land in Albany and make their way to Broomhill and up onto the Holland Track to the goldfields, cutting off more than a fortnight of their journey. Now, around 18,000 fortune seekers used the track and teams laden with food, general stores and mining equipment made regular use of the track until the railway from Perth created Southern Cross and then eventually Coolgardie. For nearly 100 years, the Holland Track was forgotten. The northeast portion was left to be reclaimed by the bush, while the southwestern section was overtaken by farmlands. As I mentioned, there are numerous plaques and memorials that today's travellers will find along the route to make remembrance to both John Holland's party and those that recut today's modern route for four-wheel drivers. A memorial was erected in 1956 by the Catanning Historical Society to mark the site from which Holland and his companions departed in Broomhill. There's a commemorative plaque paying tribute to the courage of the these four men that's now been placed on the on each of the shires through the through which the holland track passes and numerous centenary plaques adorn the route laid down by enthusiasts in 1993 and there are plenty of maps, HEMA maps, there's actual uh, road trips that you can do. Just start maybe if you're thinking of doing the Holland Track to get out, there's a couple of books that you can get to and um, trip notes that you can purchase as well. Make sure that you do that if you're going to tr- uh, traverse a, a big adventure like the Holland Track in Western Australia. Hey, that wraps up this week's edition of the Road Less Travel Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed our quick little whip around of Southern Cross in Western Australia. If you've got a destination coming up or you've just finished a trip, please drop us a line and let us know. You can do that through our website, fatcatmedia.com.au. Drop us an email, fatcat at iinet.net.au, and I'd love to hear from you. Love to uh, get your feedback too, and love to get your favourable comments. So if you've got a complaint, please don't hesitate in sharing that with us too. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook too and we look forward to your company very soon on The Road Less Travel. My name is Nikki Shea. You've been listening to The Road Less Travel Podcast and I hope to catch you out there very soon on the road. Take care. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travel is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. 